0: I come to the garden
1: alone while the dew
0: start out in Genesis chapter 1. One thing about Genesis is that it seems like the longer I live in my walk with the Lord, the more I am drawn back to the foundations of God's Word as they're revealed in those first three or four chapters of Genesis. Uh, it, it, it establishes the purposes and the intent of God from the very beginning that have not changed. You know, God can change his mind and, and does, and we see that in scripture, but he never changes his character. His character and his purposes have always been the same. And in Genesis chapter 1, we'll read in verse 26, and by the way, I'm going to be reading, I believe all the scriptures I will read tonight are are taken from the revised English version. And I want to take just a minute and exhort everyone on here that if you do not have that app, you should put it on your phone. It's very easy to use. And the amount of effort that John Shane Hyde and others have put into these, to to the interpret or the, the translation and the commentary is just amazing. You can spend hours just going from commentary reference to commentary and learn an abundance of things from God's Word. So I, I highly encourage you to do that. So we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. Now, of course, the first thing I think most of us have learned by now that the us in this verse is God speaking through his divine counsel? Yes, there are other gods. That's why God himself, our God, Yahweh, is the great God because there are other smaller, lesser gods. And, and they are the Elohim in the scriptures that are uh, sometimes referred to as the divine counsel or the counsel of the Lord. Uh, Job talks about them other places in scripture. And again, If you want to learn more about that, I suggest you go to the REV and read some of the commentary there. But what I want to point out here is that we are made in the image of God. And there's been a lot of debate and discussion through the years about what the image of God is. You know, it's the fact we can can readily see some some similarities like self-awareness, Uh, the ability to love and to be loved, an awareness of right and wrong. These are all things that are unique to humanity. No other creature on this planet has those attributes. And the other defining character, the one thing that God says that this image that we have is, is that it is to have dominion, is to have rulership. God designed us to rule on this planet as his co-rulers, his co-regents over creation. And that's what we were intended to do. Now, the other fact that we should be able to, to glean from these first verses about the human relationship and God's unique expressions toward humanity is that we were intended to be with God forever, Clearly, he would not have made humans with all of those attributes similar to himself just simply to be, you know, tossed away. We were meant to live in his fellowship and in his company. And so, what we see from the time of this initial creation, of course, we read in scripture that very quickly uh, by Genesis chapter three. Adam and his companion have disobeyed God, and they are cast from the garden. And so from that point forward, God's entire desire is to bring humanity back to the garden, to get us back to that garden-style relationship that he had with Adam and Eve. Uh, I love that song. I think it's Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young that had that song, you know, the garden— Got to get ourselves back to the garden. Every time I hear that song, I think about Adam and Eve and and what it must have been like to walk and talk with God openly. And that's the relationship that God has wanted. So God has always wanted humans to be in a close, personal, I like to say conversational relationship with him. And But Adam blew that. Adam caused us to lose that. But what we see in Scripture is that from the time of Adam on, God is always speaking. In every dispensation of the Bible, from creation all the way through to revelation, God's voice is being heard by humans. Uh, For instance, uh, after Adam, we know that God spoke to Noah, right, and told him to build an ark. Adam or Noah heard God's voice. He spoke to Abraham at first as Abram and told him to leave his land and to go to a place where he would show him. And on and on throughout scripture, we see God repeatedly speaking to humans.
1: Now, what's even more interesting to think about is that humans of every kind have heard from God. Now, most of us probably live at least with some sort of level of
0: assumption that God only talks to the righteous, that God only speaks to those who are walking with him. But that's not the evidence of Scripture. Remember the guy named Balaam? Okay, Balaam was was a crooked prophet, right? And he was trying to bring forth prophecies to curse Israel for King Balak. And yet God spoke to him. God spoke to this wicked prophet who was outside of his will. Um, He also later even spoke to him through the mouth of a donkey. Right? Balaam's ass. So, If God wants to communicate to humans, he can, and he does. Uh, Another example would be Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was not an Israelite. He was a Chaldean, and yet God spoke to him in a dream and gave him a dream that no one could interpret, and he takes it to Daniel, right? And then Daniel is able. So God is able to reach even out to unbelievers, And speak to unbelievers and has throughout time. How about the wife of Pilate? Right up in the New Testament era here, you've got Jesus about to be crucified and the night before his crucifixion. It says that Pilate's wife was troubled in a dream and went to Pilate and said, look, I don't think you should kill this guy. I had a dream last night. You know, it doesn't tell us necessarily what it was, but clearly there was a message there that was important enough for her to mention to Pilate and for it to be recorded in scripture. So there is no quote, quote prerequisite for hearing from God other than being human because humans were made in the image of God. And God wants to talk to us, and He does. Sin does not negate, and this may shock you, but sin does not negate God's sovereignty to be heard by humans. Sin doesn't stop Him. God is bigger than our sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that kind of refreshing. I find that encouraging to think that God can even speak to me and get messages through to me even when I may not be on my best game. But that's how gracious and merciful our Heavenly Father is. God's one goal from Genesis all the way into the book of Revelation is to redeem humanity. It is to get humanity back to the relationship that he originally intended for them to have in relationship and fellowship with him. Now the beautiful thing is when we make God's ambition our ambition, we're getting into a situation where we're more likely to hear from God. So. When God's desire is to redeem humanity, when that becomes my desire as well, now I'm in flow with his will, and therefore I'm much more likely to hear from him. So the first thing that we begin to see is that for people to hear, for us to get in that place, one of the things that God repeatedly has told his people throughout time is to listen. So we're going to flip over and read a few verses uh, out of the Hebrew Scriptures, and we'll start in Exodus chapter
1: 15. you'd like to turn there, Exodus chapter 15, and we'll pick it up in verse 22. Now, It says, Moses
0: led Israel onward from the Red Sea. So they have just passed through the Red Sea, had their party on the other side, which is a great party to read about. And they were rejoicing and praising God for delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink from the waters of Marah because they were bitter. Therefore, its name was called Marah. The people murmured against Moses, saying, What will we drink? Then he cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a stick, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. He made a statute and an ordinance for them there, and he tested them there. And he said, If you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, and will do what is right in his eyes, and will pay attention to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I have put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh who heals you. So here they were three days out from passing through the the, the sea. They need water. So what happens? Moses goes to God and simply asks God and God shows him. God spoke to him. God made it known to him. Take this stick, throw it in the water. But then notice what God says in this statute. He says, if you will diligently listen. Now it's, We're going to be looking at this word listen as it appears in the Hebrew scriptures, because it's very interesting that how often it occurs. And here it's stated twice. Actually in the Hebrew, it would read if you listen, listen. Okay. And that's the way the Hebrew language often puts emphasis on things is to say them twice. Uh, Like in Genesis three, when, uh, When God told Adam that if he ate of the fruit of the tree, that he would surely die. It actually says, You will die, die, is the way it actually reads. It's stated twice for emphasis. So here, God told him to diligently listen. Look over, flip on over to Exodus 19, and we'll read another one of these records. In 19, verse 3, Exodus 19, Moses went up to Mount Sinai to God, and Yahweh called to him out of the mountain, saying, This is what you are to tell the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to me. Now therefore, if you will listen, yes, listen, there again it's repeated, To my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own possession from among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the children of Israel. So here again, we see God's emphasis saying, you've got to listen, listen. I can remember years ago hearing it stated that we have to think about what we think about. In other words, we don't just let our mind wander and drift. We need to take captive our thoughts. We need to think about what we're thinking about. Well, the same is true in listening. We need to listen to what we're listening to. We need to pay attention to what it is that we're allowing to enter into our ears. And I think it's interesting here, you know, he said that if they did that they would become a kingdom of priests. We well, you know a priest is a person who stands between God and humans, right? He's an he's an uh, a intercessor. He's someone who's there to bring those two together. And that's exactly what we are. We're the same thing. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are there to bring together those people. And we also should listen Listen, pay careful attention. In Deuteronomy 28, we'll see another one. In
1: Deuteronomy 28, and in verse 1 through 6, it says, If you
0: will listen, yes, listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, to be careful to do all his commandments that I command you this day, Yahweh your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings will come on you and overtake you if you listen to the voice of Yahweh your God. Blessed you will be in the city, blessed you will be in the field, blessed will be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your animals, the increase of your livestock, and the young of your flock blessed will be your basket and your kneading bowl, blessed you will be when you come in, and blessed you will be when you go out. Now the first blessing that was ever pronounced happened where and when? Genesis chapter 1. Remember, God created him and he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. The blessing that was originally intended for Adam was lost. Now God is offering it back. He's saying, here's how you get it. Listen, listen. Who did
1: not listen? Who did not pay attention? Adam. Adam did not listen and pay attention to God. Now, there is a verse. There's actually a section of scripture in Deuteronomy. We're going to go
0: there real quick in Deuteronomy 6 that we have heard uh, before. And you may have heard it referred to as the Shema. And it reads in in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it reads, Hear,
1: O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. Therefore, you are to love
0: Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I command you this day are to be in your heart, and you are to repeat them over and over to your children, and are to talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you rise up. You are to bind them for a sign on your hand, and they are to be symbols between your eyes. You are to write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Now, uh, I believe John Shaneheit has done a couple of teachings about this, and he's really emphasized that one phrase that, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. But it is called this is this little prayer is called the Shema. And the Shema, Shema is the Hebrew word for hear or listen. Okay? So it's the first word in this verse that the the prayer is named after. The Hebrews would say this prayer. Three times a day, they would say it morning and afternoon and evening. Uh, For instance, you can read in Daniel, what is it, five or six, about how Daniel would pray, you know, uh, facing toward Jerusalem from his window three times a day. Likely he was saying the Shema, and the Shema was to hear. And the emphasis should be on the hearing. Yes, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. But we have to hear. Our part is to hear. He's not going to change, but we can by hearing. Now, the word Shema uh, actually is used in, in three levels, you might say. It means sometimes it can mean to simply physically hear, to just hear something, a noise, a sound, is Shema. Then at the next level, it means to recognize what has been heard. To, to hear it and recognize it. But the final way that it's used, and what I find extremely intriguing, is that it means to respond to what has been heard with
1: obedience.
0: And it's interesting when you look at this word,
1: you know, the Hebrew language does not have a word "obey." There is no Hebrew word for the word obey. Do you know what word it is? Shema. Listen, hear, because God's purposes are that when we
0: hear, we hear to the point of understanding and that we obey. In God's eyes, we have not really heard
1: until we have heard to the point of obeying. You know, we do the same thing. Even in our culture today, how many of us parents have maybe at, at
0: some point spoken to our children and said, "You better listen to me, you better hear what i 'm saying right? What are we actually saying? Are we asking them just to use their ears and hear sounds and noises? Are we asking them to just be able to diagram the sentence that I just spoke no we we 're seeking understanding to the point of obedience. We do it very commonly, and that's exactly what God is saying, that we need to hear and obey. Uh, Let's look at Psalm 27, because actually, this is what we humans want as well. When we pray to God, this is the exact same thing we are asking him. We want him to hear the words that are spoken, the voice that we are coming with. We want him to understand what our need is, and we want him to respond to that need. And we'll read that clearly here in Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, it says in verse 7, Hear Shema, O Yahweh, my voice, the sound of my voice, when I call. Show me favor and answer me. See, that's exactly the same way that God is approaching us. He wants us to not just hear his word, but to hear it to the point of understanding and the point of obedience. Likewise, when we pray, we want God to hear our words, to understand our heart, and to answer our prayer. Now, when it came to Jesus, you know, he often said that, that people were not hearing because their hearts were hardened, right? They were calloused. That, and he would often tell them, "Behold!" You know, he often said, "Look." He didn't say "hear" as much as he said "look." And I think it's kind of interesting that you know he he asked people to to look upon him and observe, observe his life, you know, because he said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? So he was not just his words were not that they needed to heed, but they also needed an example to see what it looked like to hear and obey the voice of God. And when we hear and obey the voice of God, hearing his voice is actually the thing that will build our faith. And in Romans ten seventeen, we all should be familiar with that verse. It says faith is. Comes by hearing and by hearing the word of truth, right? And that that word word there is very interesting. It's 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 the word Rama. It's not the word Logos. You know, the, there are two Greek words that are used in Scripture over and over uh, to, to for the word word and one is Logos, and the other one is Raman. Logos has more to do with the comprehensive, eternal plan of God uh, for the redemption of humanity. It's his unchanging counsel that's established by his own sovereignty. You know, the Logos of God is like the big plan, the grand plan. That's the Logos. That's not what it says builds faith. We can know all of that from reading Scripture. We can know the plans and things of God from just, but the rama that's a specific word. That's a specific word like it talks about in, I think it's maybe in the Proverbs, it speaks of a word fitly spoken, you know, that it's that perfect word that we need right at that perfect time, and that That kind of hearing, that kind of specific word builds our faith. Jesus spoke of the rhema like this. He said uh, in Matthew 4, 4, when he was confronted by the devil, he said, man does not live on bread alone, right? But by every rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's those specific words of God as specific instances that make all the difference. And that's what we need to hear. We need to hear from God, not in the grand sense of things, but we need to hear from him in the personal, everyday sense of things.
1: Okay? Um, In Isaiah chapter fifty. I want to read a little bit about
0: the Messiah and how how did Jesus get to that place where he could hear the Word of God so succinctly on an individual daily basis and in Isaiah chapter fifty is one
1: of the i think there are four there are four stories
0: uh poems I guess they call them about the servant that are in Isaiah. And this is one of them that Isaiah spoke of. And verses 4 through 9 in Isaiah 50 are the Messiah himself, about the Messiah speaking. And this is what it says in verse 4. The Lord Yahweh has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with words the one who is weary. He's saying the Lord has taught me, and he's taught me with the wisdom that the the learned know, so that I can sustain the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord Yahweh has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away backward. I gave my back to those who strike me, for the Lord Yahweh will help me. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped down. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord Yahweh will help me. Therefore, I have not been confounded. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be put to shame. Yahweh awakened him every morning. And he was taught with the wisdom of the ages. His ears were opened to obedience. And he gained the courage to endure the suffering that he endured on the cross. And he became
1: steadfast. He set his face like a flint This is not just a nice phrase. This is reality of the Messiah's life. If you flip over to chapter to Mark, book of Mark, we will read in chapter one of Mark. This is in the very early days of
0: Jesus' earthly ministry. Mark 1 and verse 35, he says, Getting up very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he left the house and
1: departed into a solitary place and prayed there. He got up before daylight, and it was long enough before daylight that he could get alone, get by himself, and
0: spend time with the Father. Do you think He could develop a listening, listening heart in that kind of quietness? In other place, places in the in the Gospels, in Jesus' ministry, He talked about people entering into their closet to get alone, to find a quiet place with God. The point is that we want to get alone so that we can listen, to remove the distractions. Jesus did it early in the morning, and I personally have found that for me, that is clearly the best time for me. Now, it may be different for you, but the point is we want to get to a place where we are alone
1: and quiet. You know, in our culture, we often hear People talk about uh, multitasking. Multitasking
0: is a grand 21st century deception. There is no such thing. Because the human mind cannot think two thoughts at the same time. It's impossible. So what we do when we claim to be multitasking is we half-ass everything. We don't really commit ourselves to one thing or the other. We are giving only lip service to some things and half heartedly doing other things. We have to be disciplined in our prayer life, in our alone time with the Lord to remove all distractions and have that alone time with Him. Uh, another person that I would like to take a look at from scripture that will, I think will help us to get a perspective on the kind of heart that hears from God is King Solomon. Uh, King Solomon, you know, was David's son and, and he was anointed King by God after Saul had been chosen. And, It says in 1 Kings chapter 3, in verses 5 to 10, I just want to read this this dialogue between Solomon and Yahweh God. In chapter 3, verse 5, it says, at Gibeon, Yahweh appeared to Solomon in a
1: dream by night. God said, ask what I should give you. Now, think about that. What would you do if God came to you tonight and said, whatever you want? What would be your answer? There's a lot of things
0: that a lot of people have asked for, but I think this is the the most wonderful thing that I've seen in Scripture. And Solomon said, you have shown to your servant David, my father, great covenant faithfulness because he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with me. You. you have kept this great covenant faithfulness to him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, Yahweh my God, you have made your servant king instead of David my father.
1: Yet I am a young lad. I do not know how to come out or go in. That is
0: such a humble heart he's obviously a mature enough man to reign as king, but yet look at the humility of his heart. I don't even know how to come in and go, I don't know how to get out of the rain god i I'm really not qualified for this, and honest to God that's I feel that way a lot. <laughs> I never feel qualified, especially in sharing god's word because you know, I mean, God, he created the universe. Who am I to try and explain him? You know, all I got to do is go outside and look up. And suddenly I realize, you know, I'm not all that. Uh, but he is. And uh, he said, I don't even know how to come out or go in. Your servant is in the midst of your people that you have chosen. A great people that are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And the word was good in the eyes of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. So he said, God, give me an understanding heart. Now, if you look at that in the Hebrew, it says, a listening heart. Give me a listening heart. A listening heart is a heart that does not multitask, but it's always got the radar on in the background, listening for God's voice, listening for God to interrupt my busy life, for God to interject at any time he so chooses, for him to whisper. Normally, God doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. You know, we, we all have probably read the record about Elijah the prophet, you know, when he had come to his wits' end and he went and hid in the cave and, you know, and he has had the wind and he had the rain and all of the things that went by and none of them were God, but then he heard the still small voice and he knew it was God. And look at what is so beautiful in this is that. He asks for a hearing heart. For what reason? To be able to judge your people. To be able to help people. That has got to be, to me, I believe, the greatest underpinning of of assurance that God wants to work with us. Because what are we doing? When we put people on the same level that God puts people, that they deserve redemption. They deserve to be loved. They deserve to be helped. They're made in his image. And, you know, the image of God is not just believers. Because in in Genesis, uh, after Noah came off the flood, when, when the commandment came down to not murder and that murder should be punished, he said, because they're the image of God. Humans are the image of God. So don't think that the only images of God out there are just those who believe in God. All humanity is. And God is seeking to save all of humanity. Isn't that what it says in Timothy? For this is the will of God who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And when we join with him with that kind of heart, I tell you what, I know in my life it's changed me. And I don't say, I don't say that I have it all the time, but I I really strive for that. I strive with all my heart to love people just as they are. You know, when I when I pull up at an intersection and there's some guy there with a sign, you know, we'll work for food or whatever. Hey, if I've got if I've got cash in my pocket, I'm giving it to him. I don't know that guy's circumstance. You know, people say, oh, that's just a ripoff. That's just, you know, these people are just scammers. They're this, they're that. You know what? That's between them and God. They're there in front of me. I have the means. I have the blessing. I have the ability. Now, am I going to love them as an image of God and say, God bless you, brother? Or am I going to prejudge them? Am I going to have prejudice toward them and discount them as though they are something less than the image of God? I don't want to be that person. I really, truly don't. So here he says, give me an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. You know where Adam and Eve looked when they went to discern between good and evil? They looked within themselves. They decided it was good for them. You know, being in charge of my own life is really a good idea. No, it was the height of selfishness to turn away from God who had been good to them, who had provided for them, and think that, oh, I can do this on my own.
1: You know, Christianity is not about a me thing. It's about an us thing. It's about us winning people
0: to the Lord and us joining with the Lord in bringing humanity to redemption so the phrase, an understanding heart, literally means a listening heart. So how do we develop this listening heart? Well, we we attend to God's word. We pay attention. We attend to his word with humility. I'm just going to show you three or four more verses, and then we're going to wrap it up, okay? I know this may not be as long as you are accustomed to, but I hope that you will hear something in this. That will touch
1: your heart. In Proverbs chapter 4. Pick it up there. And in verse 20. It says in verse 20 and 21. My son. Pay attention
0: to my words. Incline your ear. To my sayings. Do not let them depart. From before your eyes. Keep them in the midst. Of your heart. That's. Hearing, inclining with humility, keeping them in our heart. Proverbs chapter 5, flip over one or two pages there. In, in Proverbs 5, verse 1, my son, pay attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my discernment. You know, our ear is inclined towards God's word, and it's inclined to hearing from him through the Spirit of God.
1: In Proverbs 22, In verse 17, it says, incline your ear and
0: listen to the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. To hear God's voice, we must give him
1: our undivided attention with humbleness of heart. Most of us, and I'll say most of us
0: including me, have developed habits that aren't necessarily the best habits when we approach God. Lots of times we approach God with our own preconceived perceptions of what we think God is rather than allowing God to reveal himself as he is. You know, one of the greatest examples of that that we can look at in scripture is probably the man named Saul. You know, Saul truly, sincerely believed that he was doing God's will. He truly had a preconception of what God would be and what the Messiah would be. He thought the Messiah was going to be a conqueror, right? He was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees, for the most part, held that belief. They recognized the Messiah Ben David, the Messiah, the son of David, and that he would be a ruler, a conqueror. And so Paul thought he was doing the will of God. He was
1: extremely sincere about it. You know what? Even his disciples thought that. All the way up to the point of his ascension, they still didn't get it. You know, on the night of his
0: crucifixion, he's trying to tell them, hey, guys, I'm going to be slain. Oh, no, you know, that's not going to happen. They still didn't get it. You know, at the Last Supper, they didn't get it. They didn't get it when Peter was with him in the garden. They didn't get it when he was buried for three days and three nights. They didn't get it. They didn't even get it at the Ascension because they had preconceived ideas of what they thought the Messiah would be. Paul was the same. You know, I've often asked myself, why would the Lord Jesus pick a man like Saul to be the messenger of the sacred secret to the world. And I believe it's because he had a truly sincere, humble heart toward God. It was just misdirected. It was just misdirected. He was doing the things that he thought would bring honor and glory to God and that were good for his religion. But those were all preconceived ideas that he held. But his heart was a good heart. And that's why the Lord could work with him and bring him to the point where he could reveal to him the sacred secret like no one else in all of time has. And do you know the first thing that Saul did after meeting Jesus and I'm always amazed by that because you know his encounter with Jesus was so profound it changed his life forever forever. He was
1: never the same. And he went down into the regions of Arabia for two years. And we don't know anything about that.
0: There's nothing in scripture that tells us about that other than him telling us that he went there for two years. But I think what he did, he went down there and spent a tremendous amount of time in repentance and humility and pouring out his heart to God and learning to hear the voice of God. If I want to hear the voice of God like Paul did,
1: maybe I need to get some time alone with the Lord as well. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. That's how you spell love. How much time, how much unfiltered, unreserved, Specifically set aside time do I give to worship of the Lord. There is no better preparation of our heart to hear God than to get alone and spend time in worship. We're going to close in Psalm 95. And in verse 6 through 8, it reads, Oh, enter. Let's bow down and kneel. Let's kneel before Yahweh, our Creator,
0: for He is our God, and we are the people of His pastor and the sheep of His hand. Oh, that today you would listen to His voice. Do not harden your heart as at Mas- Mirabah. That was the first place we read about, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. Even though they had seen God's work, they still were disobedient and tested God because of their hardened hearts. And here the, the, the remedy for that hard heart is to kneel
1: and worship. You know, I, like many of you, was educated in a, in a Christian denomination that placed tremendous emphasis on study of the scriptures, reading the scriptures, learning the scriptures, and teaching the scriptures. But they taught me very, very little about worshiping God and hearing his voice. And to worship God, when
0: when you study the word worship, from the Old Testament all the way through, it almost always involves a position of the body. Even the word worship in Greek, proskuneo, means to kiss the ground or to kiss the feet, to bow down and kiss. It's an, it's an act of humility and humbleness. You know, it wasn't until about 20 years ago that I ever even knelt and spent time in prayer with the Lord on my knees. Because, you know, I hardly ever kneel when I pray. You know, I'd heard that, and I'd been taught that. And so it was sort of a flippant thing for me. There wasn't a real humility of heart. And then one day I was with a friend of mine who was a a, a great Christian brother, and we were talking, and, and he said to me, you know, I learned something recently that I think is really important for my life. And
1: I said, what's that? And he said, I learned that the closer to the ground I get, the clearer I can hear God's voice. And, you know, I thought about that. And I said, you know, God,
0: I've been too proud of my heart to humble myself before you. I've been too proud to get on my knees or to lie on my face before you and cry out with my heart. You know, I can know all the Bible in the world, but I want to know you. I want to know Jesus. The devil knows all the Bible. He knows it better than I'll ever know it, right? He can rightly divide it, wrongly divide it. He can subdivide it. He can do anything he wants with it. But he doesn't know the Lord as a brother. He doesn't know God as a father. And that
1: takes worship and time spent with him alone. So brothers and sisters, I hope... That something I've said tonight has touched your heart. But I want
0: to say this one thing before we close, and we're going to close. We're going to listen to one of the favorite
1: songs of my life. One that God brings to mind often. And if you have never gotten alone, and I mean truly alone, turned
0: the TV off, turned off all the noise in the background, get away from people, Get yourself to a place and just allow yourself to be broken before the Lord. I encourage you to do it. I think you'll be surprised at what he can build back from those broken pieces of your heart. in the middle